Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Journey. I'm glad you're here. If it's your first visit with us, it's great to have you uh, share today. You know, um, last week we got a chance to go and meet with our son and daughter-in-law out west and uh, saw the beauty of the Grand Canyon. It's something I'd wanted to do all my life. Uh, just amazing. I mean, you can't even put it into words uh, how creative God is. And uh, so we got a chance to do that and spend time with them and see some other things as well. So it was a it was a great trip, and I know that while I was gone, you guys finished up uh, the series that we're in called The Journey, and we uh, challenge you throughout that uh, study to fill out one of the spiritual growth plans, and I hope that you've done that. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to do that, I believe there are some more available. I can see myself or Tony after the service, and we'll get that for you, but we'd love to challenge you to look at this next year and see what God can do in your life. Well, today we're going to begin a new series, and we're calling this Significant Other. And we're going to be looking at relationships from dating up into marriage. And, and let me just say this. Next week, we're going to talk a lot about dating specifically. So if you know of someone that's getting close to that or a, a, a student or a, someone who may be thinking about dating, we're going to talk about the kind of person to look for. And, uh, and we'll just kind of, kind of deal with that. So I encourage them. But it, it's not just limited to dating next week as well. This is talking about dating all the way up into marriage. And uh, like uh, Jake mentioned earlier, if you're not, it's not on your radar, guys, that Wednesday is Valentine's Day, you might ought to make a note in your calendar and give yourself a little warning and prep on that, all right? Just, uh, just help out a little bit. But today we're going to be beginning this series about significant others, and we're going to talk about the basis of intimacy. And we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning of time, all the way back to the book of Genesis. Because that's where we see relationships really began. And I, I read a story the other day. I know it's true uh, because I read it on the Internet, so it's got to be true, right? But anyway, here's the story. Uh, it goes back to the beginning. It was a conversation between God and Adam. And God asked Adam, and he said, Adam, what's wrong with you? And Adam said, well, I, I got nobody in my life to talk to. And God said, well, I'll tell you what, Adam, I'm going to make you a, a companion, and it's going to be a woman. And Adam had no idea what that would be like, but he said, so what, what will it be like? And God said, well, this person is going to be great. They're going to gather food for you, cook for you, and when you discover clothing, they're going to wash all of your clothes for you. She will always agree with every decision you make. She'll bear your children and never ask you to get up in the middle of the night uh, to take care of them. She will not nag you. She will always be the first one to admit when she's wrong whenever uh, you have had a disagreement. She'll never have a headache. She will freely give you love and passion whenever you need that. And Adam said, God, that seems almost impossible and unbelievable. He said, God, God, what will a woman like this cost me? And God said, it'll be an arm and a leg to have a woman like that. And Adam asked, then, God, what can I get for a rib? <laughs> uh. I'm not sure if men or women appreciate that joke, but I was concerned about that joke because I thought I might alienate about half of the congregation before I got started this morning. Uh, but at any rate, let's get serious and let's get realistic, shall we? Because intimacy does begin in the very beginning, in the book of Genesis. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, this is what it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, if you are familiar with the book of Genesis, you know the first chapter two and the previous verses, we read all about how that God created everything. God created the world. He created light and darkness and water and land and sky and birds and animals. 
And then he made his greatest creation, made in his own image. He made mankind. He made Adam. And God gave Adam dominion over everything in life. And in every creation, when God completed it, he would step back and he would say, this is good, this is very good. But we do know that in the scripture it says that when he looked at man alone in the garden and compared him to all the other creatures who had a mate, that God said it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. So what God was saying is that God, God said we're not created to be alone. We're made for community. We are made for other people. And that's why, to be honest with you, when we come together on Sunday morning, community is important. We could learn and we could read and stay at home and watch TV. I know that more convenient. But the reality is that we need the community. We need the church community. And we believe that even beyond that, we need smaller communities. And so we really encourage people to be involved in, in a group study, in a, a journey group, a community group of some sort. We want you to be involved in those smaller communities because you need people around you. But the reality also is that it's not just a large community and a small community that most of us need. We were made also for a significant other in our life. And most people will pursue that at some point. Now let me say this up front in this study, that one is a whole number. All right? One is a whole number. So if God has called you to singleness for a season or even for a lifetime, I would encourage you to embrace that calling. I'm not saying you need to pursue somebody in your life. I'm not saying that. In fact, the Apostle Paul said the opposite in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is well for them to remain single as I do. So Paul says you'd be better off just to remain single. Why? Because Paul devoted his entire life, energy, everything he had for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe God is calling you to do that. If that significant other does not show up in your life, then understand that maybe God has called you to that and embrace that. Whatever you do, do not become desperate. Don't lower your standards for the kind of person that you will accept. Don't just say, this is what I want, so I'll settle with this. Don't settle. And also, don't lower God's standards as well for that person. God's standards should be your standards. In fact, we'll talk kind of about what those standards ought to be in, in our lives as we get through this series. You see, God's plan for the type of relationships that we're talking about is one man and one woman, and the goal is for a lifetime. Do not buy the perverted teaching of our world that says otherwise. One man, one woman for a lifetime, that's what God has in mind. And so even though it may not be for every person to have that significant other in their life, for most people, we're at our best. We are most complete when we have a significant other. Now, we're going to talk about intimacy, and I don't know what comes to your mind when I say that word, uh, but the word itself just basically means someone who is close to you. But it's not just someone physically next to you. It, it means more than that. You know, you can be in an elevator and, and it not be an intimacy, right? Uh, and on our trip, we were in elevators, and there's nothing more uncomfortable than being in a large elevator with a lot of people you don't know. Because every conversation stops when you walk in the door. You don't feel comfortable talking about even to someone you know next to you. There's, no, there's closeness, sometimes too much, but there's no intimacy there. Whenever we go to Haiti, and that's an awesome trip, we're going to be a group going this summer. Whenever we go, you might be in a tap-tap, which is a small pickup truck, with 20 other people that you don't know and can't even speak the same language. You are very close, but there's no intimacy, all right? So understand that intimacy is not just being close to someone. Intimacy is much more than that. In fact, it's from the word that we, uh, we use to get the word internal organs. 
And that's an interesting but messy picture, isn't it, to be thinking, thinking about it. But your organs are all kind of crammed in there together, you know, they're together, but they're not separate. They not only are close together, but they work with each other. Every organ works in harmony and concert with your other organs to make the body whole. And so from that, we kind of get the idea of intimacy. And if you want to know a little bit more about it, think about the word, or breaking it up, into me see. See into me, look into me. More than just being beside me, look into me. Now, sometimes we think about intimacy being sexual, and it is in its completeness. However, we can have intimacy and still respect the boundaries of sex only in marriage. There can be intimacy in, in dating, which it should be as it leads into marriage. So if intimacy means looking into me or seeing into me, then, then what do we need them to see? All of us need to be seen for who we are and for what our particular needs are. And guess what? The needs of men and women are different, are they not? I think all of us have probably figured that out a little bit. If you've been married very long or you've been around uh, the others, opposite sex, you know that needs are a little, you guys sound a little nervous out there. That's like a nervous laughter this morning. All of our needs are different, right? They're all very different. What do we need? Well, he needs respect and she needs love. Now, as Lori and I were talking about this, she's like, wait a minute, I don't know if that's true or not, so I have to kind of clarify that by saying up front that it's not exclusively. Men need respect, women need love, but also women need respect and men need love as well. But we're going to talk about kind of primary needs here up front, all right? Because what we hear most of the time is a woman say, he doesn't love me. Or a man say, well, she doesn't respect me. So understand that there are some primary needs there. You know, it's interesting, a national study was done where men were asked, would you either go, rather go through life alone and unloved, or you would go through life with someone, but you would feel inadequate and disrespected? Which one would you prefer? Three out of four men said they would rather be alone than not be respected. A similar question was asked of women and, and discovered that most of them didn't care as much about what people thought of them as long as they were loved by the one that mattered to them. So love and respect, respectively, are what men and women need. Men need respect, love need, women need love. And you know what? That's not something that surveys have discovered. In fact, the Bible says that in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You see, Paul, inspired by God, knew the primary needs of men and women. But what does it mean to love and respect someone and to be loved and respected? How do we show that love and respect? Let me just say this. Obviously, it is best whenever both people in the marriage are sold out to that drive and that desire. It's, that's the most important thing. It's the most effective thing where each person is concerned about what the other person needs. But even if that isn't the case, how does a man show love to a woman and a woman show respect to a man? Just, I mean, even if you don't get it back, what you need, how do you do that? And by the way, let me just say this, that not only does logic and reason teach us, but also the Bible teaches us that if we do our part, then that spouse is much more likely to do their part naturally. That's how it works. And so understand, you know, if you're here and you're like, man, I wish my husband or my wife could hear this because it, I think it's going to be good and <laughs> what I need, you start telling, giving them what they need. And in most cases, they will respond. So here I'm going to step out on a limb in a major way in the first part, and I'm going to ask, what do women need? See, that's a risky thing 
to do, but I, I, I think we might be close. You guys can tell me how well I do for second service. Maybe I can rewrite it for second service, all right? How, what do women need in life? Well, first of all, she wants you to be close. She wants you to be close. You, you see, you can't be intimate from a distance. You can't be intimate if you're not close, not only in physically, but emotionally. And closeness to a, a man is not the same thing as closeness to a woman. You know what I mean? Hear, hear me tell you this. Guys can work together for hours and never speak, right? There's no problem. We're not mad at each other. We're, we're working. We're focused. We're doing something. Or you can fish, you know, whatever it is. You don't have to be talking all the time. Women can't. Why? Because they need connection. Need connection, right? They need to be interacting with people. So that's how we're different. We can't just assume that everything is fine. Uh, you know, what's wrong, she'll ask. Nothing. Nothing's wrong. I'm just not talking right now, you know. I'm, I'm thinking or something. What are you thinking? Well, nothing, you know. <laughs> right? That's how guys are. We're not always thinking something, right? But closeness means holding hands. It means choosing to spend time with her. It means showing affection, guys, that doesn't lead to sex, all right? <laughs> it means giving her your undivided attention. It means laying down the cell phone, turning off the TV, putting down the paper, whatever it is you're doing that they need us to give them attention, right? I think I scored on that one. Secondly, she wants openness. She wants openness. She wants you to open up to her and share your feelings, your thoughts, and your day, all right? Have you guys ever heard that old thing, that old fact, supposedly, that women speak twice as much as men? You know, ever heard that thing, women say twice as much, you know, and men are done talking at the end of the day? That's not true, all right? I don't want to shatter that myth. That's not true. Uh, studies have shown that men and women speak about the same amount. The problem is that men aren't always ready to talk about what they're dealing with at the moment. They're not always willing to share their thoughts like women want us to do, you know? So understand that. She wants openness to tell her about your day and your thoughts, the insignificant things. Thirdly, she wants understanding. Women want us to listen to them, understand them, accept that without trying to fix them, right? All right, they don't want us to fix them. I'll, I'll go back to that in a few minutes because one of man's needs is to fix people, right? All right, number three, she wants understanding. Number four, she wants to know that you're committed, that you are committed. One of the biggest needs of women is security, and she wants to know that you are committed to her, that you are loyal to her. She wants to understand that you, uh, you watch and you're careful how you talk and interact and look at other women. <laughs> You're with your spouse and you're checking out somebody else, even if it's innocent. Oh, man, that's horrible. It's horrible. And, you know, and if you're looking at porn, you're looking at pornography and your wife discovers that, that's disloyal. She wants you to re, uh, require the kids to respect and obey her. She wants to know that she is number one in your life after God. Number one after God. See, what, what happens a lot in our, in our current world today is our, our world has become child-centric, kid-centric, where the kid's the most important person in the family, and we're going to rush to give them and do everything we can for our kid, which is great. I have four kids. I love my kids. I would do anything for my kids, but I want to put my wife above my kids. The primary relationship in the marriage is husband and wife. It's not 
father, son, mother, daughter, or any, any, any other combination. It's husband and wife. That's the only thing that's going to last because guess what? All of our kids moved out and left Lori and I alone. <laughs> They're all gone. And some of them live so far away we can't even go see them, daggone it. So we have to be husband and wife centric and not kid centric, all right? Number five, she wants you to honor and cherish her. Honor and cherish her. She wants you to be kind and praise her and encourage her. Show her affirmation and, and, uh, and affection in public. And guys, let me tell you something else. And I can say this because I got a little track record, and I think if Lori were here, she'll be in second service. I think she would back me up. A few years ago, I became very convicted of something I should do, a, a small thing. I'm not bragging about it because uh, more years I didn't do it than, than I have done it. But I started opening the door for my wife on the car. Now, that is a small thing. You know what? She can open the door by herself. In fact, when I'm not with her, she opens the car door. It's very easy to do. It's not hard to open a car door. But I decided, you know what? I can show honor to my wife by opening the door for her and putting her in the car and shut the door. You know, I, here's how shallow I am. At first, I thought, all i got to do is open the door. So I'd open the door, and then I'd go around and get in my door. And then one day I was like, you know, I really ought to close the door too, you know, that, that come, finishes it. So I just thought, okay, I'm gonna, that's my goal every time I will open and close the door for my wife. Now, now she's gotten used to it. She loves that. But here's what I, she also likes. There's a lot of other women that will see me doing that, and they will say, I wish my husband would open the door for me. And that raises the value in our marriage, because I'm doing something that other women are envious of. So guys, I'm just going to tell you, open the door for your wife. <laughs> now, you know, now I've raised the expectation bar for guys. But, but you know what? It's, it doesn't take but a few minutes, and it's a small, small thing, all right? Okay, I got through that part with women, and now I'm going to try what men need, all right? Guys, I think I can be a little more confident in speaking on this. How do you show respect to a man? How do you show respect to a man? Well, let me give you three or four, uh, more than that, actually. We're pretty needy when you think about it. <laughs> Number one, appreciate his desire to work and achieve. God has made us, or should have made us, with a drive to provide and to achieve. And if you're not that person, then shame on you, guys. Get your butt in gear, provide for your family. All right? Don't be lazy. But if your husband is that, let him know you value his work ethic. Let him know that you, you want to express your faith and your confidence in him, that you're not worried because he's going to take care of you. And whatever it is he does well, compliment him. Now, I know that there are some guys that, well, they don't do a lot of, a lot of things you'd like for your husband to do, all right? Some guys are handy and they can make things and do things and work around the house and fix things and everything. And some guys can't do that. I don't know if they've never tried. I'm not sure, you know, I don't know what it is, guys. Maybe try a few things. Blow a few things up, you know. Uh, I don't know how to do that. But if your husband doesn't do some things well, don't always be criticizing him for what he doesn't do well. Find the things that he does well because everybody does some things well. And, and compliment those things. And listen to the stories of your husband. Even if you don't understand the technical side of it, just nod your head, you know, and say a word or two every now and then and compliment him. And then help him in his work whenever you can. But he needs to, his work is important. Why? Unfortunately, many of us are defined by our job, by what we do. And so you need to make sure that your husband understands and appreciates your desire 
to provide. Secondly, appreciate his desire to protect and provide for you. Guys, we're going to fail our wives. There's going to be times that we don't protect them like we should. But let's do our part. And, and, and women, give him your admiration for protecting you. If you're married, praise him for providing. Don't put down his job, his position, or how much he makes, even if you think he could do better. And you know, in our world today, it is common for a man to make less than the wife. And if that's true, don't criticize him. Let him lead the family, even though you might be the number one breadwinner in the family. Accept him as he is, but encourage him to be bold and take chances. Number three, appreciate his desire to serve and to lead. Tell him that you admire his strength and dependability. Praise his decisions, his good decisions, and give him grace toward his bad ones. And when you disagree with your husband, disagree with him only in private, and always honor him before the children. Husbands are not always right, but man, it's tough, it's hard to take when we're told we're wrong in front of our peers, in front of our kids, in front of anybody else. Honor him in that way. Number four, appreciate his desire to analyze and counsel. This kind of goes back to the idea of fixing things, all right? Thank him for his advice, even though you weren't asking for it. If he tells you what he thinks, just thank him for it. You know, he's put some thought into that, all right? Recognize his problem-solving approach is one of the main ways that men show empathy. You want to be heard and listened to? We're trying to do that, you know? But we think you want advice from us. And sometimes our advice sounds like control, like we're telling you what to do. But, hey, we figure if you tell us something, you want us to fix it or at least weigh in on it. Right, guys? That's right. Amen. Amen. You can speak up, guys. It's a safe place here today, all right? <laughs> we just figure you want us to do something about it. We don't know what to do. If all we go is, oh, that sounds rough, you know, that just doesn't sound manly enough. We want to tell you what to do. Just thank us and go on and do what you want, all right? Number five, appreciate his desire for shoulder-to-shoulder friendship. He knows that you love him. You told him that once. Tell him often. But do you like him? Do you like him? And are you willing to do things with him that he wants to do. You know, I, I hate to see, I'm, I'm a people watcher, and I hate to see a couple come in, and I see it often, in a restaurant, and they sit down and they never speak. In fact, oftentimes they don't even look at each other. You ever notice that? Sometimes it's the phone, but in, even if they don't have a phone, they just sit there. They never look each other in the eye. They never speak except to the waitress, and then they, they eat and they get up and leave. And what I think is they don't like each other very well. And I don't know whose fault it is, it doesn't matter, but, but men need to know that you, you are their friend and that you're a safe friend for them to have. So give them that friendship. And number six, and can't leave this out, guys, in the context of marriage, appreciate his desire for sexual intimacy. That is a need that men have, which means that you respond to that and you even initiate sexual intimacy as well. It's a way to respect your husband. Now, there's one big danger when we think about our need for intimacy, and here it is. This, this is a danger for all of us to think it's all about me. It's all about me. Why? Because we don't often think about the needs of others, but our needs are always on front burner, right? They're always there for us to think about. How many of us approach our needs by thinking, my needs are more important than your needs? And how many of us might even say, you know what, these are my needs. You deal with your needs. You deal with your own needs. That's the selfish, that's the problem that a lot of people have. 
And some people are looking for another person who will meet all of their needs. And let me tell you this, your significant other will never be able to meet all of your needs. And if you go into the relationship thinking only of yourself, you will never find fulfillment. Never. Because the key to intimacy is selflessness versus selfishness. The key to intimacy is selflessness. It's sacrifice. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 3. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Ephesians 5. Women, submit, or wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, I know what you're thinking when I read both of those. Both of you are thinking, if I do that, I will give up my rights. And that's not fair. It's not fair to give up my rights. And it's, it could go either way. Men, I'm giving up. i got to consider her first. That gives up my rights. Women go, i got to give up my lot rights and let him lead the family and submit to his leadership. That's not fair. But the Bible says that men and women should enter into a relationship not with themselves in mind, but with the other person in mind. Not to be fulfilled, but to fulfill. And when both people are trying to do that for the other person, then you have the basis for a successful and fulfilling relationship. That's the key right there. It's a hard thing. It's not easy. But that's the key right there. Because we will feel significant primarily because of our significant other And only when we die to ourselves and live to fulfill the needs of our other, we really discover that we have found joy in our life. That's where joy comes from. You know, um, I have a daughter who's getting married in June. And our our future son-in-law, his name is Luke. Some of you have met Luke. He's a super kid. Great, great choice in my book, all right? But he's going to graduate from Columbia University, uh, Columbia uh, International University this this May. And... um, it's Christian College, and I was reading a little bit of history. I didn't know this. I kind of discovered the story, and then I discovered where he was from, so it made a neat connection there. But uh, the president of that school a few years ago was a man named Robert McQuilkin, and for many years he led that school. His father actually was founder of the school, and when Robert was in his mid-50s or so, and one day he noticed his wife Muriel, who had been his partner throughout all of his career, and they led the school together. But his wife repeated a story she had just told five minutes before. Just told the story, and then she told it again. And as time went on, her memory deteriorated further, and soon she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. You know, the first symptom of Alzheimer's is forgetfulness. And the second symptom is unawareness that you are forgetful. So if you still remember that you forget, you know, it may not be where you're headed, but if you forget and everybody else is to have to tell you that, then that could be a problem, all right? Maria was only 57 years of age, but she continued to decline And soon she had to have constant care. And Robert tried to provide caregivers for her. He was loved at the college. He was at the peak of his career. They were doing great things internationally. And for years he tried to balance leading this uh, growing college and caring for his declining wife. And every time he would try to bring someone in to care for her while he was gone uh, to work, uh, it didn't work very well. She was attached to him and she tried to follow him whenever he left. And they had been together for so long, and they were so committed that they were each other's life. He was her life. She was only happy when he was there with her. And finally, he came to the place where he had to make a choice. He had to decide, and everyone told him, Robert, you know, in a while she's not even going to know who you are. Robert, we need you at the school. Surely you can figure out something. But he had to make a choice. And so he resigned as the president of Columbia to care for his wife. Now, Robert McQuilkin was such a humble man 
that he didn't really do this for any reason for recognition, but he decided to record his resignation for the board, the staff, and students to kind of let them know exactly what he was thinking, why he was doing that. And it was a few years after that, actually, this recording of his resignation was, uh, was actually discovered and made public. So I want to play just about a minute and a half of that to kind of show you what it means to really love each other. Can we play that? I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, Till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. I haven't in my life. You know, that's a, that's a sad, but it's a beautiful story, isn't it? It's a beautiful story. And when I thought about that, I thought not only is it an example to us, but more importantly, it's a story of the gospel, to be honest with you, that Jesus Christ gave up his life so that we could live. It's a story of sacrifice, a story of commitment. And it parallels so closely because the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ. And he invites us to come and to give our lives to him and to understand what it means to live in relationship with him. For an incredible, glorious marriage feast someday that we'll all experience as his bride, as his family. But you know, it also sets an example for us to follow of his sacrifice for our significant other. Because we were so significant to him that he gave it all. So I want to challenge you this morning to think about your relationships, but also to think about the greatest relationship, and that is with your father through Jesus, and if you've never given your life to Christ, you want to have that conversation, I'd love to just meet you down here and talk at some point. You can contact me someday this week or whatever it might be, just to have a conversation so we can talk about what it means to be a part of, of Jesus' bride. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for your word. God, thank you for amazing people like Robert McQuilkin who would give up his life, his career, to care for his wife. God, thank you for 
the significance that we have with you, that Jesus would give up his life to come to this earth, not only to give up heaven, but to give up his life to die for us, the pain and suffering that he would endure on the cross. And God, um, in a few moments as we share in this time of communion, Lord, I ask that uh, we would just appreciate him even more this moment. God, understand that we matter to you. Help us just to to gather that, to to simulate that, and, and to respond to you. Lord, I pray these things in Christ's name.